Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And today we have a super very special guest, my best friend, my twin brother, Elliot. Hi, everyone. Uh, This is Elliot. I'm very excited to be appearing on an episode, finally. I don't know if anyone will be able to tell your two voices apart. Uh, well, I promise we're two separate people. <laughs> just kidding. It's just Sam running back and forth between two microphones. Yeah, winded and exhausted. Oh, my next guest. <laughs> so what did you think? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. I guess I can talk like this. Is. Differentiates. I don't know. Useful. <laughs> yeah, very useful. Alright, well, before we start, I had, what, four announcements? Yes. One, this is our last episode for Name of the Wind, so that's like a big monumental thing for the podcast, but it also means we're going to take a couple of weeks off and do some mini-sodes in between this last episode and when we start The Wise Man's Fear. My second episode, not episode, announcement is that we are dropping merch soon so we made a whole store on our website so you can buy stickers and mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and all sorts of fun stuff and the sweetest fanny pack you'll ever see (laughs) i forgot about the fanny pack it's pretty cool um you you can find that at fantasticbookspod.com i will be launching that before this episode comes out so it should be all set and ready to roll when you hear this Our third announcement is that this is our new audio equipment for the first time ever in use, so hopefully it sounds better than it ever has before, but we are still getting used to the setup, so maybe it won't. I don't know. Definitely a major upgrade. So stoked. Yeah. Um, What was my last announcement? Oh, I combined it, so I was going to do last episode for Name of the Wind as one announcement and then the mini-sodes as a different announcement. One of the mini-sodes will be that trivia episode that I talked about last time with our guest Nick. So we're going to have Elliot back on. We're going to have Nick and Jackie and Phoebe and Sam all competing in fantasy book trivia. And I think the winner will win maybe a sticker pack or something from our new merch store. I don't know. We haven't figured it out yet. But that will be coming soon. Um, And I think without further ado, we can get into interviewing Elliot <laughs> I uh, have to go. <laughs> um, so usually when we have guests on, we ask them three questions. Uh, one, why did you read Name of the Wind, or like how did you get to reading Name of the Wind? Well, you you just finished it for the first time. So yes, I finished it for the first time, and I gotta say I'm glad it was such a build up. So a little background: Sam and Anna have been gently uh, <laughs> nudging me on to read this book. And for a while, I would say, yeah, absolutely, I'll get right on it. And, you know, other books just kind of enveloped my personal time. I never got to it. And then finally, one day, I cracked it open, and it was just an all-encompassing book in my life. It's funny. It's one of those books I didn't expect for it to be so... It. I mean, like, we also love the book. That's why we're telling you to read it. So... Well, basically, when you guys asked me to read it, I was putting it off for some time. I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then I finally started picking it up, and I devoured that book. There was a lot of sleepy work days just based on the fact that I didn't go to bed in time for the next day because I was just reading this book. And 
it was phenomenal. I, I can't say it enough. There's just certain passages in that book where I just find myself closing my eyes and almost just like digesting all the words I had just written, uh, read and just, it was great. I'm really glad that you guys brought that to my view because I don't think I would have found this book on my own. Yeah, I don't think I would have found it on my own either. Like, Thanks, like everyone I know who's read the book has only read it because somebody else recommended it to them. Like, I don't know anyone that's like, oh, yeah, I just, like, found it at the bookstore or at the library. Like, everyone, it's like a weird, like, chain of, like, who grandfathered you into <laughs> reading Name of the Wind. But, yeah, I, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I did love it. It was such a good read. And I, I was immediately very sad when it ended and then I didn't have the next book to immediately jump in. I'm like, ugh, my Kavoth, like, what's gonna happen? Aww. Like, what do I do? <laughs> it was funny, too, because I remember reading The Name of the Wind and then subsequently Wise Man's Fear and telling you about it, and you kept being like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. I'm reading these other books right now. And they were lesser books. They were not as good, and it's so funny because I read three of the series, and... But it just was not good. It was clearly written for, like, adolescence, and it was more love-based romance versus actual what I wanted was that good sense of, like, adventure and fantasy. And when I finally picked up Name of the Wind, and I still had the fourth book of that series to read, I'm just kicking myself. I'm like, man, I've been putting this off for months <laughs> for these other books, and this, like, treasure has been, like, in my bureau for how long? So, yeah. I scorned our I, I know! <laughs> I know! I scorned it. And it's funny, because I'm here with my twin brother. If anybody knows me, it's Sam. So for me to be like, yeah, yeah, a new book, I'll, I'll be the judge of that. And <laughs> sure you enough, fool. I have played the fool. <laughs> no, well, originally we wanted Elliot to be on because, and I don't know why I thought this would be the case, but I was like, oh, we're getting to the end of the episodes. And you were maybe like a third of the way through Name of the Wind at that point, like mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago. And so I was like, oh, we'll finish Name of the Wind and you'll finish Name of the Wind around the same time, so like you can come on and you know give us your predictions or whatever. And you've already read Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear, and like whipped way past everything. Oh so. yeah, I had no self control once that Pandora's box was open. I just literally—that's okay. It all came out, but yeah, phenomenal series. And now I'm just like anticipating and waiting for that third book so I can. Wars of Stone, we're waiting for you. Right. So one one of my favorite things about this series is the complexity of the books and the little details that hide within both that foreshadow and kind of get brought up later on. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out in book three. But um, I really enjoyed seeing your reaction with a lot of the details I brought up to you or um, showed you fan theory videos and just seeing you kind of just your mind being blown with the details that you might have missed on the first read because there's so much details nobody gets the first time around with these books oh absolutely and it's funny because i consider myself somebody who's got a very busy mind so when i read i'm able to either anticipate certain things or i can connect certain dots and i gotta say these books and especially uh name of the wind made me feel like an absolute chump <laughs> you know I'm well they're like written so that you don't have the clues like you don't have the context to see the clues in the beginning of the book until you've hit the end of the book 
Yes, yes. And it's funny because I literally pride myself on being able to put these clues together and think abstractly where I can remember these minute little details where they'll pick up later. But yeah, I, I was I was proven quite wrong. Oh. And, and it was very it was very uh I appreciated that I was challenged this way by the author because as satisfying as it is to be right it's even better to kind of be humbled in the idea where okay wow this took a turn i was not expecting at all mm. so i really appreciated about the books i think it, they're very clever very cunning very charming I, I can't speak highly enough and it's funny because you think that with the internet and how much exposure you have to so many different books and movies and tv shows that you've kind of already taken in everything that you think you're gonna like and then something like this comes along you're just humbled and it's awesome i mean i like the fact that it's not only an amazing puzzle in terms of like the context clues and everything but it's also a good story like even if you pick up on none of the background details that patrick rothfuss sprinkles in to give you like the connections between characters and like all the clues of like the mysteries you don't like who's dennis patron what's behind the four plate door those kinds of things the story itself at face value is still really good. So I'm glad that like you read it and loved the story. And then we showed you like some fan theory videos and you were like, holy shit, I didn't even read these books. <laughs> I know. And it's literally what I said. I'm like, did I even read these? Like, what <laughs> happened? I was like, what is going on? But yes, like the book is absolutely delightful. And I do love how charming the certain passages are. Like the way they describe his bedroom up in the um, onkers oh so cozy i'm like because my bedroom has that slanted ceiling too and it's a little bigger than the way they describe in the book but sometimes i like to just like lay in bed and pretend that like oh i'm like it's a little like bedroom like oh cozy that's really cozy um well before we go too far my second question (laughs) for our usual guests is who's your favorite character Ooh, great question you know, it's funny, I find myself loving Elodin, and I just love how obscure he is. I love, like, there's a lot of mystery behind him, and this, like, this weight of authority with him. He's very peculiar, but because of this unknown past, his, like, experiences and his knowledge has created this identity where he's so capable, but so odd. So I do love that and appreciate about his character, and it's really fun to hear his dialogues with Kavoth, but more importantly, the way he acts towards other people, especially other members of the... Oh, uh, the Masters. The, the Masters, yes. You know, especially with Hem uh-huh. and <laughs> him going into Hem's... Uh, oh, burning up his yeah, 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 like, <laughs> I love that. It's just like, Kavoth is like, what, where are we going? What, or why are we doing this? Or, you know, and then he's finally, like, finally, a relevant question. Like, yeah. Where are we? And then, you know, he's burning all of Hem's... Uh, robes and that was fantastic i think that was what the moment i'm like all right eladin is the dude like that's funny because nick also said eladin was his favorite character last week when we asked him yeah i like him and i would also say that i love ari and i think i'm very attracted to characters of mystery especially oddballs i consider myself an oddball so I, i think there's just like a uh common core with that but i just love ari's story it's so unknown but like there's such a pureness to her character clearly cares about kavoth but is so afraid of that like connection and intimacy based on you know we don't know yet or she's very much right. a, uh unknown to us 
So I really like her character, and I think she's proven to be a very loyal friend to Kavoth, which is very like heartwarming and charming. Mm-hmm. But also, on the same token, shows a lot of subtle intelligence and brightness. And I think that's what makes me gravitate towards her every time there's a chapter where she appears. It's so fun to see how she enters the scene like very cunningly, just like appears or just uh sc- scampers into scene and have you read soul regard of silent things yet i know you like i lent it to you but i don't know if you started it i have not read it yet and i think that once i start getting into it i'm gonna have an even fonder appreciation for her character because i think you're really gonna like it it's really awesome it's so, so much unknown. so and it's so different from the other books because those are all obviously kavot's perspective and mm. to see this book in ari's perspective like patrick rothfuss's style takes on a whole different persona because it's like her view of the world, so like the vocabulary is different and the yes. way things are described is different and it's like very much through her lens. I think you're really going to like it. I think so too and I, I really hope that my theory about her comes to fruition where I'm thinking that the reason why she's so odd and peculiar is that maybe she did learn some names and at a price of that knowledge kind of made her a little bit more, not even eccentric, but just altered the way she thinks to to a level where she is uncomfortable around what society dictates as normal and i think that's going to be interesting to see whether or not that's what is the case or if she's just a different type of person well i'm not gonna spoil anything for you yeah i'm excited to see what that i will say though like you're definitely on the right track sometimes with like the knowledge comes at a price like we see that early on how we were speaking about like last episode where Kavoth calls the name of the wind and his sleeping mind is awakened mm. and it's like traumatic yeah. and he doesn't know how to handle it. And even when we have early in the book where Elodin shows Kavoth like where he stayed over in the rookery when he like quote quote cracked and it's just awesome that within this world naming and having that power and the way it changes the way you think really can distort your mind and really kind of like mess you up and like that's the thing like power at a price is it worth the is a pursuit worth it Mm. i mean i just like i appreciate fantasy books where the magic isn't just free there's gotta be a point even in like things like harry potter like something that popular you do have to learn it so it's not like everybody's just good at it and not everybody has magic in harry potter but i i feel like it's just like oh you can if you study hard enough you'll learn it or, like, if you research it enough, you'll learn it. You just, you know, keep practicing the spell, mm. you'll learn it. Right. So I like this one where, like, it's a price, but it's a price you don't really know if you're going to have to pay or not. Like, you might be powerful and fine. Your mind might get fucked up and break. Like, you don't know. And right. everyone thinks they're strong like, enough to take it at the beginning. It's and not like, the cliche where it's like, magic is dangerous. Like, you might get hurt. It's like, no. Magic is dangerous where you might not be the same Like, after. you might irreversibly yeah. damage your mind. Right. Like, you might not be the same person afterwards. Like, you might be physically healthy but like mentally you know obscured after who knows oh forever that i think it's i think his name was like garvin in the aragon series where one of the elves like he probes an elf's mind to make sure that they're like an ally but because their minds are so different than humans that afterwards in the ocean of thoughts and when he came to the surface he just sounded distant and in a way yeah he was just like like very just 
It was like the musical notes of their mind was beyond comprehension. Yeah, yeah. Weird. And I did love that passage, and I thought it was interesting where, yeah, he never came back the same. Yeah. It was just very foretelling. It's real well. Well, that leads me into my next question, which was either what's the best fantasy book you've read lately, or what fantasy book, like, got you into reading fantasy? And I thought you said it was Aragon. It was, yes. Aragon is the series that got me into fantasy, and... I loved that series so much. I think I reread it at least four times uh, before oh my god! On. I know it. I did not like that series. Well, you only read the first <laughs> book, so I feel like you can't judge that series all right, at all. All right, all right. Well, I read one out of four. No, I know, but it, the, the the plot, the characters, there's so much development that really... We'll cover it on the pod, and I'll just sh- shit talk it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> just you wait, everyone, it'll be so it's fun. not even a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I did love Aragon. It just, I don't know, there's so much depth to it, and I like the way they described magic, too. I think it's fun, and, you know, it kind of gives you a, a sense of drama, when people who tap into this mystic art of magic, it's not just like this unlimited power that they can just turn on and off. Like, you know, a lot of the times it would leave them less for dead or not the same. And I think that's really interesting. I think it's not something that can just be like, okay, well, I turned it off and I saved the day. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to make out of this alive because I bit off more than I can chew and my body can't sustain the that's collateral weird. damage. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's risk. Like, that's what makes these characters so compelling because it's not just, I did a thing and it was neat. Like, it's like, I sacrificed in order to, like, achieve something awesome. You know, getting into Aragon and that being my first type of fantasy books. How old were you when you read those? Oh, too old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really wish I got into fantasy reading at a younger age. I think I would have identified and appreciated it. Not more, because I will always love this type of stuff. But I think I would have been able to encompass more if I had gotten to it earlier. But yeah, I must have been like 20, <laughs> 21. Oh. Yeah, I, I was very late off the I was a very like animated, you know, comics or cartoons kind of guy. So books weren't really my forte, but yeah, after reading Aragon and then getting into Name of the Wind years later, I didn't think I was going to find a book, and I don't want to say replaced because I don't want to throw that around lightly, but I will say this series has easily given Aragon in my heart a place to be challenged. This series really just surprised me and more importantly impressed me in so many different facets. I just think like the writing style is so charming and makes you really think and the characters are compelling. And I mean, I just love Kavos style. Like I like his hardships and his track on just trying to be a good person after all this suffering and just also be satisfied with his accomplishments and also stay hungry for his goals. Mm -hmm. And how do you not love his endeavors in his dating life and you know his constant chase of denna and just (laughs) you're the only person i know who like thinks that's a good part of the book i it's frustrating don't get me wrong but okay that's yeah i have dated many a denna and i think i just identify with kavoth and like his identify (laughs) (laughs) i was so mad but i had to do it low-hanging fruit low-hanging fruit always a ripest always a ripest but uh yeah i will say 
it's frustrating, but I think I always just kind of smile to myself because I think about a younger Elliot and I'm just like, oh man, been there, done that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's just fun. I don't know, but Patrick Rothfuss does capture like that perfect like romance of like young love of being like bashful and naive and being like, talk to her and like you don't know what to say and you're just like awkward, but you're like wishing and willing to like do your best and try and make it like a positive thing. And I, I think... It's something that anyone who reads it can definitely been like, oh, I've been there at least at one point in their life. Yeah, I think it's just like watching it from an older perspective. It's just like, oh, what's wrong with you two? Oh, yeah. I mean, I want to pull my beard hair out every time I read it. But I'm also <laughs> just, like, I'm just like, oh, my kavod, like, do it, dude, like. I know, I'm like always constantly reminding myself that he's so young. Yeah, and that's the thing, and that's why I think these books are so fun too, because you get Kavoth, and he sets the bar so high for himself by the people around him because of his accomplishments and his wit, yep. which is awesome. But also, you gotta remember, like, this kid is a kid, <laughs> and he's also suffered a lot, and he's also had to overcome a lot, and it's just really surprising how you can get so caught up in the moment of whatever he's doing whether it's yeah overcoming an obstacle or trying to charm somebody over or just get his get his feet out of the fire from some dumb thing he's done i think that's what makes the like frame story so good is you get young kvoth and old kvoth and it's like these two totally dichotomous characters and since obviously the third book's not out yet waiting to see how the two become like how young kvoth right. becomes old kvoth and i think about that all the time and it like breaks my heart because like you get this young kvoth and he's just so capable right he's and like just... vibrant he loves music he loves adventure he loves learning and like old coat is so resigned but at the same time but he's not that old he's not old he's like 30 he's our age yeah and he's it, not old at all and it's so weird because you know i i love the way the author describes the three silences and i love the way the author goes into yes. a man just waiting to die and i'm like oh my kavoth like what happened what happened to you why are you like this like and you, like, you almost get, like, parental about it. It's like, you're just reading a fantasy book, but you're like, what happened to my boy? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> right? Like, I, th- I feel like this, it's definitely self-inflicted, but I feel like a lot of it's got to be his own undoing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's no, he's got so much hubris as a hero, like, that's always your downfall. And that's what I'm, like, terrified to find out in book three, where, like, all this effort, all these challenges, everything he's done has led to the world in disarray where he wanted to like essentially become like something great. And when he has a sword folly, like in the tavern, yes, the waystone in, I mean, what did you do that was so cataclysmic? And it was clearly like misguided with good intention that you are punishing yourself to this extent and like waiting to die. Right. Yes. And that's what I wanted to say too. So I'm so glad you chimed in on that. It's like, what responsibility are you holding on to for an action that caused you to wait for yourself to die? Yeah. 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 I think this is a good time to transition to chapter 88. Oh, God. Which is all interlude. So this is current day coat in the Waystone Inn. And this is the last interlude we get. So mm-hmm. the last chapter and the last episode ended with Kvoth getting into the Underthing. And he was interrupted. And <laughs> <laughs> so he well, well. interrupted and it like switches to this interlude chapter, chapter 88, which is called Interlude Looking. 
and they're interrupted by, you know, the classic crew of Shep, Jake, Graham, and Old Cobb the coming in. Cobb. I hate Old Cobb. <laughs> Sam, this is your last episode of this season. Tell us no all way. how much you hate Old Cobb. <laughs> Just let it rip. Oh my god, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> old Cobb is every arrogant old man who sucks and is so blinded and he's just such a know-it-all and can't keep his friggin' mouth shut. Old Cobb, I want to push you down the flasters. <laughs> <laughs> it was laser beams out of his eyes, you idiot. You don't even know the story. You done and ruined it. <laughs> yeah, like, oh my god, shut up. Yeah, he always has to have the last word. The last word, the wrong word, and even better, like... <laughs> I think he's just such a great plot device for the audience to realize how Kavotha's stories get so mis- mis- misinterpreted and changed so much. Yeah, they're all tangled. It's people like... <laughs> it's people like old Cobb just being like... <laughs> Nope, it was the power of Cthulhu. Like, like, you have to remember, too, there's no writing. Like, all these people can't write or read. So right, they notice right, right. that Chronicler's in the bar, and they're like, oh, a scribe, like, what's he doing here? And it gets, it gets played off as, like, oh, he's come through town uh, because Boston wants to have his will written down. And so they're like, oh, maybe more people will want to, like, maybe we should do that, too, because the scrail, like, definitely shook him up. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, so that's, that's like, Chronicler's cool. cover story. Right. Carter comes back in, and this is like the first time we've re-seen him since the Skrill incident, and he seems to be okay, which I'm pretty surprised by, because those things seem so disturbing. Um, and then they start talking about Kvost, like, in the back, you know, getting food for them or whatever, he's kind of in and out of the conversation, and then that's when they start talking about all these Kvost stories, and like, yeah. they're s- just so wrong. Charmingly wrong, mind you. <laughs> it's funny, though, because, and it's such a theme throughout all these books, that all the stories contain some truth in that they're real and really happen. And so when they're kind of like picking it apart about how Kavoth got admitted to the university and they paid him, obviously they didn't give him like a horse and like bags of oats and like diamonds and like gold. But yeah, there's so many extra details. One thing I'm interested by is like there are details in these stories that are correct. Like they talk about the people who he called lightning down on. Yeah, it's just about They talk one. about the tuition thing, but there's a few things in their stories. Like, they keep bringing up this widow, mm-hmm. and, like, that's a common theme in their stories, and we haven't seen a widow yet. So I'm wondering if that's something coming up in book three that we don't know about yet. Or the angel. They discuss some sort of, you know, um, his love of his life. Like, he saved, like, some angel for her only to be, like, taken away or, like, guided oh, away. he had... he. This is, like, a common thing. I think it's in the beginning of the books, too. But, like, he f- makes a deal with the devil to get the love of, of his, his, heart's his heart's desire. And then he has to fight an angel to keep it. What I think that's referring to, and we'll have to wait and see, is, like, come book three, like, Kavot is becoming more and more powerful. And his heart's desire, the biggest mystery of it all, is the four-plate door. Yeah, like, I feel and... like that's the key to, like, a lot of his questions that he has and that's like the one mystery that we have no leads on and like his proclivity for naming and power and i think that greed and lust for power all although it's not in a destructive way i think it's going to open up the fey realm to the world that he's in now and it sets the current uh set of events in motion but 
I think that's what it's referring to is that like he gets his heart desire finally finding out what's behind the four plate door, what's going on with the Chandria and all these things. And it's going to result in like good people dying and it's just going to be like heart wrenching. Right. I think that we'd agreed on that many times in the podcast already. No, but well, I've I, never heard it. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mind fine. blown. No, but the whole like fighting an angel to keep it is like something that's still up in the air. I, I think on an earlier episode I said that I thought Ari would help both open the four plate door, but I'm wondering now if she's like a reference to the angel because she's very angelic looking, and I'm right. wondering if she wants it to stay shut and doesn't want him to do that. I don't know. Maybe even I think she's powerful. I think she's gonna come into play with her. Quirkiness might even be related to something that's behind the four plate door. Ooh. We're getting way off track. Let's right. get back to the chapters. <laughs> so basically, we have everyone around the table butchering Kavoth's stories. And Coat or Kavoth is like getting annoyed with Chronicler because Chronicler is a little bit stirring the pot with it, where he's yeah, like he unintentionally messing up part of the stories. Well, I think he's like just pushing people to talk more and more about Kavoth's stories, too. And since Kavoth's obviously standing right there, he's like, No, you're blowing my cover. But I don't know. I feel like if someone's telling a story, about me and I was standing there and they were getting everything wrong, I'd be like, no, that's not how it went. Let me tell it right. And I think, you know, Chronicler is very intelligent. And, it, oh, he's too, yeah. you know, I think that's what he wants. And I think that's based on, you know, obviously Boss trying to, you know, have Chronicler assist him with getting... Well, that hasn't happened yet. That's in the upcoming chapter. Getting ahead of myself, sorry. That's okay. We'll get back to the chapter so we can talk about it soon. But... The most important thing in this chapter is that, like, as they're talking the about these um, stories, they're interrupted by this mercenary that comes in, and it... It's evident that the mercenary's not, not in okay. good condition. Because they're saying, like, a lone mercenary is never a good sign, let alone one that is, like shamble and you know run down looking because at that point he's desperate and at you know at any point he could just turn on anybody and just start mugging people which is what he did like chronicler says that was the guy who mugged him at the beginning mm. of the book he's wearing that shirt that he stole so we know that this guy was fine two days one to two days ago and now he shows up and he's Road like worn and disheveled and like they're asking him questions and he's not responding and then he starts mumbling that he's looking and then starts saying things in, like, this weird language. Like, he's saying Ethan shit. I'm going to butcher this. Ethan shit. Ethan shit. <laughs> and he's like, yo, what'd you call me? Ethan shake soy scathian vey. Like, he's just kind of mumbling. Oh, and this is when old Cobb's like, I think he's speaking. Um, Siaru. Yeah, oh my god, he's so stupid. Um, but, like, this thing is just possessed. It's weird. It's very disturbing, and Boss, like, is unnerved by it, and no one else really seems to be reacting at first. And I think it's awesome, too, because I feel like Boss is such a great way to temperature gauge, like, when things are in the oh shit range and when things are cool. And when his hackles are up, as a reader, I'm like, okay, this dude's, like, triggered, like, something's not right. Like, he's got smart eyes, the way to describe him. He's, he's you know, dialed in, so... When they're describing about this mercenary being so irregular and not responding, I'm like, okay, tension is getting really hot in here. And then you see Chronicler grab for the sword. Yep, and then the 
mercenary like grabs the blade and everyone like it, like the the moment escalates and everyone's like don't do that blah blah, blah yelling and then like the mercenary pulls the sword so his hands are all bloody at one point yeah and, and the, you know it's all written like you know and he grabs a blood-stained blade and he you know cuts his hands on it and couldn't even be you know he doesn't even notice couldn't even be bothered by it right that's when i'm like okay this dude is either like on some like resin <laughs> or this dude is just possessed or something is not right i think it's very creepy to me when he just keeps saying like looking looking and like not responding to their questions and it's very weird and as everyone knows i listen to this on the audiobook all the time and the guy who reads the voice it's like it's creepy the way he does it he's like looking i'm looking and it's like i don't know i didn't like it and like it really creeps me out and it it's frustrating to watch kavoth have to keep his cover and like not react to something that's clearly like a dangerous situation potentially from the fey realm which we do later confirm that yes this was a skinwalker that like possessed a body and like is looking for kavoth so it's like very scary it ends up kind of escalating to this situation where boss like jumps at it and somehow chronicler gets like hit in the shoulder stabbed in the shoulder and then shep dies it happens very fast yeah so during all the action boss kind of like shoulder checks this guy the mercenary to try and protect everyone but in vain um shep ends up getting murdered by the Mercenary. broken sword yeah the broken sword the broken just like them and you know it's so troubling because kavoth as we have a perception of him could easily take down this threat but exactly you just you, you know you're concerned as a reader because you don't understand if this is based on him covering his identity or something more troubling is he just not the same as we as a reader see him as as capable and coherent and I think it's, you know, very alarming as well because there's a moment during that, uh, you know, fight where he throws a bottle of wine yeah. at this mercenary and we're all thinking, I'm like, oh, our boy is going to do a binding and do something dramatic and awesome and everyone's just going to think it's some unrelated thing. But that moment never happens and I think it's shocking because... I don't think earlier, he can do sympathy yes, anymore. Yeah, earlier in the series, you know, early in the book, I think it's casually, super casually mentioned that he can't perform sympathy anymore. Right. So I think he was gonna like trying to light the guy on fire, essentially. Right. And they one say, of the townspeople, I think it's the blacksmith apprentice, clean like, fire. Well, he says like, "Oh, I noticed you threw that alcohol on him, and you went, you were going to light him on fire, but you didn't have a match." So he, like, put he one even and two together, yeah, he's, but he's intelligent. realized, like, obviously he doesn't have sympathy at his hands, so he was like, oh, you needed fire, you didn't have any, whereas, as readers, we know, Kavoth can't do sympathy anymore, and that's super concerning, and, like, I don't know if it's a mental block, I don't know if his mind cracked, I don't know if he's chosen not to, I don't know if he just can't, like, I don't know what it is. Or he's so powerful mentally, where his alar is so strong that he's convinced himself he can't do any of these things in order to maintain a low profile, that he's actually severed the connection, so now he can't. Very awesome uh, theory. Very awesome theory. And, you know, back to that fight, I think it's really great when they describe how, like, it took a group to take down this demon. It, It really shows 
the level of threat that this mercenary was. This isn't just a casual, like, break in and rough up the place. Like, this dude came here to kill. And as a reader, it's awesome to hear how everybody had to get involved in order to take this down. And at the cost of... Yeah, they Shep, lost yeah. a person. And, you know, when they, they go into the Smith's, you know, Blacksmith's Apprentice Aaron just wailing. Yes. Oh, I know. And then way past the point where the dude's done and he's yeah. just like... Still going Everybody hell. loves a gone too far moment where it's just like... Whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like, like, was like pinataing for like, you know... Well, yeah. I mean, they saw the mercenary get like a knife like in his neck and not react. So like, mm. at that point, you just let all hell loose. Like, just... Go for it. Yeah, you just gotta go ape and just, like... <laughs> Plus, after, like, out. you know, it, it gets your friend, so you're all, like, defense mode and, like, revenge. Like, oh, yeah. he goes all out for this thing. and But it, it's true, like, the threat level from... It's, like, what, one against four or five? Right. And it's still, you know, a, a very high level of danger for people. So the amount of the Fey realm that's slipping out into Quos World is a high level of like danger and chaos right and you know they even got bossed on the squad so like he isn't a casual like he is no fey like i don't know if he's one of he's the... from the fey yeah like that dude is capable needless to say so the fact that him and a group of other people struggled with this mercenary i think it foreshadows a great deal of concern for kavoth or <laughs> now coat as far as what pending danger he might run into yeah, but I mean, they get him, and it, the scene ends with the old cob crouched in the corner, being useless. Yeah, what was he muttering, like praying? Or yeah, something? like muttering prayer. I mean, he's old, but it's also like, Ugh. <laughs> listen, you corn cob, <laughs> you useless corn cob. <laughs> ah, niblets! <laughs> Literally, corn niblets. <sighs> so then, like. Obviously, all the townspeople have to come see. Uh, yeah, and I do love the fact that it's like the constable comes in to look at the body. Yes. Just because it's like out of good practice. Of yeah, but he has no idea what he's looking for. I mean, that was like so Sam when I watched Rango yesterday. And like, there's, it's such a stupid movie, but like Rango's the sheriff and he's like walking around like collecting evidence, quote unquote, but just like pushing people aside so he can see what's going on, but has no fucking clue what's happening. He's like, well, what I think here is, uh, we got a case of the, uh, you know, and, like, doesn't know what's going on. I like that that's a common theme in these books, that the people in authority, aka constables, are the most, uh, inept with these type of situations. You know, back when, uh, I think it's Trayvon. Yeah, Trayvon. Yeah, they Trayvon. had the, you know, situation with the Dragon. Dracus. Dracus, thank you. Dragon. You know, a dragon, but fancy a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> dragon charmed, I'm sure. Oh, it's a dragon. <laughs> it breathes <father>. fire. <laughs> Dragonis. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, not gonna let you get away with that one. No. Uh, Alright, the Dracus, the Dracus. Back with that situation of the Dracus and the constable's trying to question Kavoth and is like walking on eggshells and trying to look more important and more capable than he actually was. It, it makes me think about what a reoccurring th thing is in that series where it's really awesome, where the people who are meant to keep uh, everybody safe are absolutely out of their element with the stuff that Kavoth finds himself in constantly. Well, Kavoth finds like the most complicated you know. types of danger. I think it also helps because I know what 
the Waystone Inn wasn't in the original draft of The Name of the Wind. It was not, no. So, I mean, it's a very important and helpful plot device. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, it's helpful for the plot, but it's also helpful to give perspective. Like these people come and they see this thing and they're like, it must have been a demon. Or like some people think he was like a deranged sweet eater. And like, that's like the most convenient thing for them to believe. Mm. So Quoth lets them believe that. But that's also how, you know, the stories about him are so warped and confused is like people will believe what makes the most sense into their framework and their level of knowledge about the world. So he's like, you know, we'll just let them think that it was either a sweet eater or, you know, just some kind of rabble rouser who walked through town and the Smith's Prentice is the hero. And like, we're just going to let them think that. But afterwards, there's kind of like this debrief between Kvothe and Chronicler and Bast about like, what was that? Yeah, like, I love when the squad, like, puddles up and they're like, alright, dudes, like, what's the skinny? This was nuts. And, you know, it just really goes to show, even though that Kavoth has experience with such bizarre and peculiar things, that things still unnerve him and things still are out of his expectations, so. Even Bost was like... And this, I only picked this up on the most recent read, but he was saying like, oh, I'm pretty sure that was a skinwalker. They're supposed to be extinct in the Fey realm. Like those are not supposed to exist anymore. And those are really far away from like, like they assume Boss knows what it is because he's Fey, And he's like, right. that's about as far away from anything as I've ever experienced. Yeah. Not that's- only that, but he said they were like extinct for like hundreds of years. Yeah. So that's disturbing that one just appeared. And then what was that passage? I love that moment where they're like, how do we not know that it didn't just disappear from that fatally wounded body to another body? That's like the very beginning of yeah. the next book. And Boss like is messing around. He's like, it could be in my skin right now yeah he messes the chronicler and he like falls out of his chair yeah that's the beginning of the next book but i love that like concept because they're like it could have gone into anyone's body theoretically yeah which is just disturbing so as we get people cycling in and out and the homies are having a group huddle and kind of discussing what it could be they Um, do get real with aaron the blacksmith's apprentice and because he's the one who says it's a demon, not a sweet eater. Yeah. I do love that they get on the level with him and just are very straightforward. I think that part's really cool. Yeah, he's pretty smart. Yeah, and it goes to show And that's that- what Boss even says. He's like, he comes in here smelling of iron, going in with clever eyes, like yeah, looking around. Yeah, like being too observant. I would like to just say that I've been calling it a skinwalker by mistake, and it's actually a skin dancer. I think a skinwalker is something from southwestern native american mythology so that is the wrong thing entirely i'm a skin i just realized saturday nights (laughs) (laughs) you have been pardoned Uh, but um the chapter kind of ends where uh boss is like stitching up chronicler because chronicler got got by the mercenary in the shoulder and boss makes this like disgusting smelling like mixture of herbs to put on it which i don't know if is actually useful or if he's just messing with with him i thought so I thought he was just making, like, something gross and be like, here you go. I made you a poultice, a poop smear for your shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that reeks. Apply more. (laughs) It's helping. Doesn't he tell him to keep it on for, like, three days or something? Yeah, like, so gross. No, but there's, like, a really (laughs) intense moment, too, where he's like, don't mention the sympathy. And Chronicle's like, what? He's like, don't. Oh, yeah, he, like, presses on his collarbone. He's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yelp dog. Quite Yelp dog. I'm gonna uh, 
just say before we move into the next chapter, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Chapter 89, A Pleasant Afternoon. This is potentially the shortest chapter in the book, but so much happens in it. <laughs> um, so this is where Kvothe gets whipped for having called the win on Ambrose. So he like summarizes very quickly by basically saying like there are all these students. He gives them a perfect repeat performance. He gets lashed. I love that. Does not cry out, does not fall, does not bleed, which I love. I think it's such like such a flair for the drama, but it's mm-hmm. also like just badass move. Pure Adima Rahul. Yes, like and that's calculated. His, that's his MO always. Like anytime he has a great like me and Elliot like to call like a get big moment, he's always like, I'm a, at heart I'm a performer. I'm a Adima Rahul to my bones. I'm always gonna have like a wonderful performance and like even with the whipping, just badass just totally takes it like a champ shirt over shoulder walks casually out. walks out yeah um, i wish i was like that calm and collected i feel like in my head i'm like all right go in be cool like it's gonna be fine and then as soon as i get into like situations where i'm in like the public i'm like oh no i've I forgotten everything about myself right. who am i i can't even order a pie from domino's without like butchering it i'm like hi this is domino's i'm like thank you <laughs> <laughs> A set of dominoes, please. <laughs> yeah. Can I get a Hawaiian? Uh, no. I have to like rehearse it in my head like 20 times before I call. I'm like, you're a smart person. Why can you not remember two types of pizza? Right. So like just the fact that like he makes a plan and then can actually like go through with it and improvise in the moment to make it even better is cool. Very cool. Yeah, he's a badass. But, uh, but yeah, so he gets 57 stitches from Mola, who's very like... I like her a lot. She's not in the books much, but she's always cool when she's in them. And then, like, the best summary sentence. So he, like, spends Ambrose's money on a loot, two sets of clothing for himself, a small bottle of his own blood. Yes, I love that. I love that so much. Perfectly way to say he bought his debt off of Debbie and got his collateral back. So it's just like a the way the book summarizes, I think, is very like neat and tidy and he does it quickly, which I like. A good wrap up. Yeah, but that's that whole chapter. So did you have anything else? I, you know, it, it, again, I think it's just a really pleasant and charming way to get a lot of information across in a very c- quick write. So, yeah, it was yeah. just fun to read. Chapter 90, Half Built Houses. Oh my god, I don't even know what... Half-bit houses. Chapter 90, Half-Built Houses. We have the great montage of Kavoth and Ari exploring all the different areas of the Underthing and her various names and descriptions for the different places they explore. Yes, and I mean, I don't want to spoil anything else, but obviously, because slow regard of sound things is from Ari's perspective like you get to learn so much more about the places and her oh, names of cool. things I like that which I think is awesome but like and I think this has to do with naming in general so the names that Ari provides for the places are very unique but they make perfect sense once you know why they're named that way so like she has a place called Cricklet which is where there's like one tiny little stream of water running through so it's like a little crick that like comes through and um the one that Kavoth is most interested in is this place he thought was called Belows, B-E-L-O-W-S. Oh, the Bellows. And it's it's billows, like billowing sails. So it's like, 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 but like there's like a wind in it. And that's like what 
ticks him off that like this place somehow must connect to the surface if there's breeze coming through it. Right. So he is really interested in going through here. So they start exploring a whole bunch in this area and they get to sometimes tunnels that are like really twisty and turny and like have ends, but they eventually get to this passageway where Kavoth can feel the air coming and he's like, okay, this is what I've been looking for. And as the readers, we don't know yet what he's been looking for. Don't they describe uh, Ari being like, you have to be careful because there's some places that you can squeeze into that you can't get yes. out. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I love the fear. I mean, as somebody who's claustrophobic and has done dumb things like, you know, exploring, you know, hard to reach tight crawl spaces and things like that. The fear of being like squished into something that you can't get out of. And, you know, the, the sweat and, like, the panic that sets in. So, you know, thinking of uh, our Kavoth, like, finding himself in a predicament like that, you know, you, I get all sweaty palms all over again. Yeah, I mean, he does. He gets stuck at one point. So he goes down this tunnel that Ari says, don't go down. You're, She doesn't want to go down there. She said it's too small. And he's like, well, this is where I want to go, so I'm going to go there. And he's like, if I don't come back, you're going to have to come looking for me. Yeah, and she seems okay with that, but not really keen to do so. So he is, you know, deep underground and talking about how dark everything is and just, like, the thought in the back of your head knowing that there's thousands of tons of dirt above you that could crush you at any moment, which is terrifying. And he gets into this spot at one point where he's, like, worming his way through and he put his arm, like, in a way where he got stuck. Uh, And he's there for several minutes. Not seconds, minutes trying to wriggle free. And, like, eventually he does, but, like, just, like, being in the dark, alone, like, yelling into, like, the dirt, which, you know, just, like, absorbs sound. Oh and, like, no one's there to find you or help you. The like, panic. The panic. That's so scary. so scary. I mean, you know how bad I freak out when I'm sleeping at night, when I fall asleep on my arms and I, like, really, like, <laughs> flop like a fish oh, yeah, in the bed. yeah, you freak out. You freak out. I think the only thing I can compare I it to is, like, so I scuba dive in here in New England, the water is... Sometimes there's no visibility, so, like, your hand will be right in front of your face and you can't see it. And there's a part of scuba dive, like, testing you have to do where you have to take off your mask and so you can't see. And it just feels so claustrophobic when you have to do that. Like, I really... <laughs> that's the hardest part for me. I do not care for that. So I usually just open my eyes in the water, no matter how salty or dark it is, because that's, like, my only Ugh. sense of control in that moment. I give you so much credit. I am so claustrophobic in the idea of being, like, all right, so now you're stuck somewhere. We're going to take away your oxygen. Like, no. We're going to take your oxygen away. Well, I mean, you're underwater. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would they took your oxygen tank away, and I was like, no, that wouldn't happen. And now you have the bends. <gasps> <laughs> you you should have thought about that before going swimming without gills. <laughs> <laughs> all right well speaking of <laughs> uh gets free but we don't immediately get told where he ends up it like this chapter... he has a total <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's about to have a Ooh, la, la. <laughs> the chapter skips ahead and he's at the muse and he knocks on fela's door and but he's like covered in like dirt grime yeah he goes to fela's door in the middle of the night and she's like wearing a sheet and he's like Nice. (laughs) No, he doesn't even, like, notice. I mean, he does and doesn't, but he's, like, so excited about what he's found that he's like, will you meet a friend in the archives in a couple of days? And she's like, sure. 
do you want to come in? And he's like, no, nah, I got to go. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm all muddy. <laughs> like, does not pick up on her hint. So she's like, come on in. So he misses an opportunity with her, but we know he's, you know, all well, in on Denna. So I don't think it mattered to him. Well, that in the classic naive Kavoth, he's like, wait a minute. She totally was offering. I blew it. And I think that's what I love about Kavo's character, because I think about, like, my own uh, early days of dating and, you know, being in similar situations. And just that moment of, like, oh, shit, that was totally a thing. Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> How did I not notice? Yeah, and I just love, like, smiling to myself, him reading and, like, him, like, describing that and just being like, oh, fuck that could have been a thing and like uh, he's also funny. so young though like right. has no experience so i feel like it's a combination of one he's finally got something he's been looking for for so long two he didn't notice because he's oblivious and three like that's something that you don't think of that much when you're still young and unexperienced right like he's not like maybe a girl will invite me and i think he's just like all giddy and excited about the maybe archives. if i'm gross from the underting <laughs> it'll work <laughs> out uh, but anyway, yeah, so he um, asks Fela to join someone in the archives. It's obviously him. So he meets her by the four-plate door, which we haven't seen since the beginning of the book. So it's just kind of like a reminder that it's there. Kvothe asks her to the archives because he can't find any information on the Shandrian. And he's like, how is this place organized? There's so many books. What's going on? And they kind of have this really long discussion about, like, the history of the archives and how, like, you know, the masters change over time and one master has one way of organizing things. They just clearly don't have the Dewey Decimal system here. And it's a free-for-all. And there's, like, decades of scrivs hiding books from other scrivs and messing up their systems. And it's just a clusterfuck in there. So I think... Fela's explaining that is the reason why Kvothe can't find anything about the Shandrin or the Amir, but there's also a good chance that it has been removed from the library. That on purpose. She did make a really good point where she just picks up one book and is like, "All right, well, this is I think a travel log of like somebody's experiences somewhere. Do you put this out their travel logs? Is this fiction? Is this nonfiction? Is it historical?" It's a biography. Is it, yeah, and then you get to a point where you're like, oh crap, how do we organize anything? Right, so it's just a mess. And the fact that it's all in the dark, too, makes it even more intimidating to find anything. And I, I, assuming their books look like our books, but I don't know if, like, it, like everything in our world, like, you can see the name of the book on the spine, but I don't know if it's, like, standard there. So, like, you might have to take out each book from the shelf and look at it before it's something that might even be helpful. Right, and I also off topic but do love when they're describing different pieces of knowledge in this library where it's just like in the clays like yeah the yeah clay tablets. yeah like the the tablets and like oh god that's awesome like and and, and then the, the knots of the um oh yellowish knots yes yeah yes. there's like other ways of recording information besides like written word. is that early braille like what what's the skinny on that like i just think that's fascinating i don't know i would assume it's like um i don't know maybe like a Similar to like a ceremonial vase or something. I have no idea. Yeah, I I think it's awesome. Well, there's a certain point where in Wise Man's Fear, I think because of her patron, Denna spends a part of time in Yule and she starts learning Yulish knots as like a form of communication. Oh, you know what I bet they'd be similar to is like weavings. Mm. Like, you know how different weavings have like meaning in them? 
based on like the patterns and stuff not only like tapestries have pictures but like there's yeah that's what they are uh yeah but like denna learns them but it sounds like there's also like yelish knots in the library like recording information in them which is weird so i don't think will's going to have any actual sense of direction when he's looking for information about the shandrian i think he's just gonna have to spend a ton of time in here like poking around which is unfortunate because the longer he spends in there the more likely it is he's gonna get caught for something but you know the chapter ends with both just having a you know a new appreciation for the archives and the amount of knowledge it's in there and how it's organized and and what the scribes generally do to keep that knowledge available yep that's so he got into the archives but there's no follow-up like he doesn't get any new information because of it it just opens a book for him but it is satisfying that our boy finally gets in there because oh i know and it's not how i was expecting it right like you know i think about how hard he's traveled in order to get to the point where he could get access to this information just for it to be taken away from him and how frustrating that it was in a way where he was manipulated so it's just like yeah, was it not smart? But, like, any normal person would even think twice about that. Like, there's certain rules in place that, unless you know. No, but classic Kavoth, it's like, if he wants something, he'll do it on his terms. So it's not like his first time back to the archives were because uh, Master Loren lifted the ban. It was like, nope, screw everyone. I'm gonna do it my way. I think it's also right at the beginning of the next book, too. He's talking about how... Like, he's restarting day two of talking to Chronicler, and he's like, you know, I wanted so badly to get to the university. I thought that all the answers would be in the archives, and they just weren't. And I I think the author says something, like, very clever, where it's like, I was left with more questions than answers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, well, was... you know, we finished these books, we're left with more questions than answers, <laughs> too. So. Ain't that the truth? I know the irony is palpable, but, like, mm-hmm. I, I, I do love that. After reading and, you know, finding such a satisfying journey, also being left with so many unanswered questions and just ready to reread and see if I can wrap my mind around certain things I may have overlooked. Yeah. Well, you definitely enjoy that. Chapter 91, Worthy of Pursuit. This is the last time in the books that Kvothe and Denna have an interaction. Of course, he you know, has been looking for her all the time. He's always looking for her, but he can never find her. And they run into each other. And he's always excited to see her because, like, he says that, like, light goes on inside of her and she, like, lights up. And it's something he never sees her do with all these other men that she's with. It's like he's got this little secret piece of Denna that no one else can have. And, you know, every time they see each other, they're, like, pleasant and cordial to each other. But they have this kind of, like, unspoken friendship that's like, goes below the surface that, you know, these outsiders it's, can't it's see. It's true intimacy. Right. And, like, he's he's always thinking, like, yeah, they've, you know, known her in a physical and intimate way. But, like, I know versions of her that you'll never see. I get, I get pieces of her that they try to see and try to hold on to. And then their desperation of trying to get that and hold on to it, they push her away. And I think uh, it's really interesting and fun how the author kind of describes that notion with how dismissive Denna can be towards men who are like that and in reality why Kavoth 
chooses so carefully how he responds to his interactions with her because he cares for her so much. He does not want to force that in, in doing so, pushing her away. Right. He even like talks to her about talks about her to Will and Sim a little bit too. And like, they don't, they just don't understand. Like he doesn't want to push her away. So he's like, you know, you have to approach her. Like she's wild and like, you're not there to tame her. You're just kind of there to see her in her wildness. And like, you just have to experience it. And they don't really understand. Yeah, and Kavot even describes her as like a storm. Like, yes, she's cruel, but cruel isn't in the context that it's malicious, that it's, you know, seeking to harm others out of spite. It just, that's its nature. And if things are brushed in its wake, that's just because of its nature. And I see that with Denna and like due to her position and everything else, but you feel for her because it's a very empty existence to kind of have to bounce from like person to person and, you know, duck cover, run and start anew over and over and over again. And I get the feeling we'll never see it for her, even with the patron that she has. But it will be it would be nice as the reader to one day see her get stability. Yeah. I mean, the way she's described as a storm, like you said, Sam. It's, I think it's a perfect description because, like, storms are powerful and, like, in intriguing to observe, but no one's ever excited to experience one. Like, no one looks forward to a storm coming their way. Like, you, you do your best to weather it and, like, you're in awe of it when it's there, but, like, you don't wish it on yourself a second time. And the irony is half these suitors that go chasing the storm get swept away. And I think it's a very accurate description, too, because you think about storms travel and they're constantly changing direction. And so is Denna. She's constantly changing her path and going to different places. And only by <laughs> the change of the wind, <laughs> the direction the wind may blow, do her and Kavoth end up meeting again. So, interesting. Although he like puts his little slip of paper into the Koyan hail, the question hall, to ask his question about Denna. And it just flitters around in the middle and never gets the answer i loved that part so much i loved that part where you know he writes that question and he's just waiting for the wind to like capture it and you know this beautiful significant moment to see like you know that that wonderment like will she get it what what will happen and i think it's so profound and it speaks volumes to their relationship and their dynamic that that paper just unfortunately stayed in his hands well, it's almost unnatural because they, there's multiple times in the book where he's in Koyan Hall and he'll notice the ever-changing pattern of the wind and there's like these crazy moments and there's always a constant wind blowing. But when he has the piece of paper with Dennis' name on it, no wind takes it. And I think that that's a foreshadow because when Denna is brought up at the Waystone Inn, it's always in the context of, like, past tense. Like, she's no longer around anymore. So I think that's actually more of, like, a plot device of, like, there will be no future with Denna. Oh, I thought it was... So, you know how Kavoth is unintentionally a namer? I was thinking maybe in the questioning hall, which is where he called the name of the wind the first time, that, like, he was unintentionally influencing the wind in its direction here to not answer for him 
Like, you know, as a kid, we were doing, like, cootie catchers, and you, right. like, purposefully, like, wanted to answer for you, like... It's yellow. Yes, <laughs> but, like, I think he's so confused that, like, maybe he distilled the wind in this situation to just, like, also reflect his confusion and not give him an answer. Yeah, I, I loved how that scene played out, and I think it spoke volumes for their relationship and the dynamic that they share. Yeah. And I think you're onto something, Sam, where she had spoken in a past tense type of way and especially how defensive Kavoth is when he's describing her beauty and making sure that chronicler has it written correctly and he always says he'll never no matter what he does he'll never describe her well because he never got to have her and i think that's why there's such a precedence on the way she she's represented because he never got to have her and i think uh you know, there's something beautiful that we all can relate to um, about, you know, the idea of the one that got away. And I think that's Denna and Kavoth. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, he gets no answers from the questioning hall. <sighs> he mentions that, like, you know, there's the ongoing feud with Ambrose, but the book is wrapping up. So he's like, we'll just talk about this a different day. <laughs> I lo- there is one very important line, though, because he says... It goes on and on, but when Ambrose finally catches me, it results in my permanent leave of the university. Yeah. So you know, down the line, something big is going to go down between Kavoth and Ambrose, where it's going to end his uh, time at the university. And I'm really sad and excited and nervous to see what's going to happen with that. Right, like what breaks the camel's back, because I love that Kavoth being Kavoth always bites off a little bit more than he can chew and especially with choosing uh Ambrose as somebody that he wants to <laughs> have a rivalry with uh, I think yeah he's still... Yeah Ambrose has way more in terms of resources to draw on than Kavoth like he's not as smart but he's just he has so much more at his beck and call than Kavoth will ever have Yeah and it does say that like you know I was caught flat-footed and forced to leave the university in the second book both leaves the university but he's not forced he's just kind of you know told to take some time off and at the end of wise man's fear he returns to university so it's not referring to that right like it's referring to something bigger i know i think it's gonna be an expulsion there's gonna be an expulsion i think it's gonna tear my heart out when i read it oh i know (sighs) this brings us to the final chapter of our first book on the podcast (laughs) chapter 92 the music that plays i think this is Oh, I'm sorry. There's one more chapter. I lied. All that hype for nothing. Oh, uh, it's at the epilogue. It's the epilogue. <laughs> um, so this chapter, I think, was one that I was not expecting to happen. I think Boss is kind of a background character. And in this chapter, what happens is they're wrapping up for the day, you know, because Chronicler has been writing Quill's story all day long. They call it a night and he goes up to his room and is just kind of settling in and is awoken in the middle of the night by Bost, who snuck in his room through the window after Chronicler had, like, pushed a bureau against the door and everything because he was paranoid. It seems like he should have been paranoid because, obviously, Bost got in his room and is there to, like, Well, not only that, but, like, a skin dancer basically just wrecked the place, like, an hour ago. Right, but, like, if something else can easily get in your room, too, like, he, he was paranoid about the skin dancer, but he didn't protect his, like, windows either and boss just like gets right in his room i don't know yes and i love that he does so almost effortlessly and catches him off guard and i love that interaction i love 
that not only does the tone of that interaction speak volumes towards Bost's devotion and admiration for Kavoth, but more importantly, his willingness to do anything for him and that he is responsible for Chronicler being yes. there. And that that broke my mind. I'm like, yo, the plot <laughs> quite literally just thickened. And I, I love that. I was like, oh my God. So this dude, Bost, leaked out information just in such a way, methodically, to catch the ear just enough to entice interest in going to the Waystone, this middle nowhere in. Yeah. Like, that is brilliant to me. And then, you know, the ferocity that Bost shows towards his Reshi, like his Reshi, and that he just tells Chronicler straight up, like, I own you. You are here from my devising, and you will do exactly as I say. And I love it because it's just so intense, and you almost get afraid for Chronicler. Like, yeah. oh man, our boy is not in a position to, like, square shoulders and, like, mad dog and, like... Well, Chronicler thought he was the one who had found, like, Kavoth, who'd gone into hiding, and he, you know, did all this work to right, so persuade cleverly. him to tell his story... And then it turns out Boss has been, like, the puppet master behind it all, pulling strings in the dark of night, threatens Chronicler. Like, you will get him to tell his story, you will get him to focus on the good parts, and you will get him to, like, remember who he is. You will get him to remember who he is. Yes, yes, yes. And I love that because I think there's such a powerful message in the idea of remembering who you are. And I think that it speaks volumes to the man that we see in the Waystone Inn coat. This is not Kavoth. This is not somebody who should be. Who This is not somebody who should be. All the things that he says Kavoth loves, which is like music and learning and, you know, spending time with his friends, the pursuit of sympathy, like those are all absent from Coates' life, so you know that, like, things are just terribly wrong, and Boss is doing anything he can, and, like, the threats he gives are so intense. Like, Sam, what's that one you always bring up? Oh, let me bring it up. It's so cool. It's disgustingly graphically And he, like, I think he drops his glamour for a minute, too, and, like, shows his face for a minute, and also picks up Chronicler's, like, Wheel of Iron, which is supposed to be like, yes, a little talisman that, that protects you. And he's like, yeah. you think you, uh, you are like, not safe from you're me. not safe from me. Like, this is just child's play, this little wheel. Like, yes. It, like, and, you know, Boss is uncomfortable when he picks it up, but it doesn't hurt him. He's fine. And it's just like, you realize Boss, in my opinion, at the beginning, is kind of introduces this, like, whimsical, fun character who's kind of there. Yeah, Plum and Elderberry. Yeah, like, to provide context and information that, about the Fey realm that other characters wouldn't have, but for him to all of a sudden be like, I'm powerful and I'm ancient and you have just scratched the surface of my abilities, like, whoa. Yeah, like, I do not trifle with me. Like, no. yeah, I will be broken. So he has a couple really good threats, but this one was absolutely just fire. Where he says, I swear by the night sky and the ever-moving moon, if you lead my master to despair, I will slit you open and splash around like a child in a muddy puddle. Ugh. 
like dude will wreck you so just disturbing and like i just imagine him like doing it with like a smile on his face too like a very eerie smile yeah like like, a placid like yes like yeah yeah. but he'll have these threats and it's not just like end point he'll then turn and like smile and be like but on to simpler matters and like Oh yeah, he'll just shift like very easily. And I think at the beginning of Wise Man's Fear, Chronicler addresses this conversation and he's like, Are we all good now? Like are we even? And Bass is like, No. He's like, No, I own you, remember? Yeah. Yes, yes, and I, I do love that exchange too, because it's so naive of Chronicler to think like, I brought it up once. I'm in your good graces, right? It's like, Oh, you poor child, you misunderstand completely, like until my Reshi is whole again, you are so indebted to me that one false breath could lead to, like, your undoing. And I, I think it's awesome. I think it just goes to show that Boss knows who Kavoth is and who he should be. And whoever Coat is... Is just wrong. Is wrong and d- goes against nature itself. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Kavoth became coat not yes. it was it necessity was it a price to pay was it his own doing not is it necessarily a sacrifice yeah i have uh, man i have so many questions i know it's it's boggling and it's funny too because one thing that i didn't expect to love as much as i did in these books is uh kavoth's musical abilities and his connection to music on such a pure and intimate level and you know, when they describe that he doesn't play anymore, like, my own heart hurt. Like, <laughs> I can't describe it. I felt, like, betrayed. I'm like, wait, what? And it's so funny because, you know, there's just so many passages throughout the story about him mourning his family and just playing. And then when he got his first loot back when he's in... um Trayvon? Trayvon. No, his father's loot gets destroyed in Trayvon. No, I'm sorry. He buys... when, he, when he buys his first loot. In um, Imray. Yes. When he first buys his... When he when he purchases his first loot in Imray, like, he, like, I just love that passage where he's just like, I couldn't help myself. It was there. Like, in the exchange he has with the shopkeeper and trying to be so casual with every burning desire to yes. just own this loot... And the fact that, like, you get to feel how connected he is with music and see that passion, not even him playing yet, just that burning ferocity of just wanting to be a part of that world. And then knowing now that him as Coat does not play music, it, like, hurt me (laughs) to read that. I'm like, oh, my God, like, homie like what happened to you like what what what's going on no he really is like a husk but old cop corn husk the real the real book three is just how coat becomes cub <laughs> <laughs> i did see a fan theory that coat or both becomes the cafe somehow Oh shit! I'm right. But I'm gonna. I think we should have an entire episode of fan theories at some point. Yes. Um. One other thing I really wanted to touch up on was in these first two books, we see how desperate and drastic Boss has come in order to try and like snap Kavoth back into who he's meant to be. 
mm-hmm. where you know obviously he got chronicler there to have Kavoth like share the story of who he was then in the second book uh hires those like mercenaries to come into the waystone and like rough Kavoth up and provoke him into a fight hoping to kind of reawaken his ability to fight and use magic and like kind of remind himself who he is and Did- we know that fails so come book three how much farther is he willing to go do you think that that mercenary the like skin dancer was boss doing or was that different i that... think that might have been on the same level as a scrail just like uh in- like not inconsequential but just like a freak circumstance okay but they're all clearly connected i mean oh yeah yeah i just like because boss is also doing his own you know right rendezvous at the waystone so it's interesting to see like who's looking for kavoth what's seeking out kavoth what's just like chaos spilling into the waystone which is in like the far off corner of the world and what's boss like bringing in on purpose right and i think that's really fun to contemplate until those answers are available just to think about where does the line go from him trying to um endanger his loved reshi into fight or flight to become who he's supposed to be out of necessity or are these just outside entities just trying to snuff out somebody who's created a lot of enemies in his prime (sighs) well hopefully we'll know one day but that brings us to the epilogue of the book which is the silence of three parts and i'm pretty sure it's exactly the same as the first bit of the book i've never actually looked at them side by side to see if there's any differences i'm pretty sure they're identical but it's you know the silence of people you know just like sleeping then there's the silence of the inn and then there's the silence that's kavoth's silence and it's the silence of a man waiting to die the cut flower sound of a man waiting to die it's slightly different and it's also slightly different when we uh start wise man's fear Oh my god, it breaks my heart every single time. I'm like, this dude had overcome so much. I just love the description of cut flower, because obviously cut flowers, we think of a thing of beauty. You know, they're given as bouquets, and they're seen as like all sorts of, lots of symbolism associated with flowers. Either like love, or you give them in a time of mourning or friendship, but they're always seen as something beautiful. But by the time that they're cut, they're already dying. They're dead. They're not attached to their roots anymore and Kvothe is so far from his roots that I think it's just a perfect description for how he is now. Yeah, and I I think it it's mourningfully beautiful too because it's like on borrowed time. You know, you get this person that has this philosophy that he's just riding borrowed time and is so apparently okay with it and the only people that seem perturbed are bossed and chronicler and the irony is that chronicler doesn't really know kavoth very well just knows about him yet uh he's not willing to allow who is now coat just to succumb to his own melancholy feelings of life and just you know enter the final nap but i think it's wild too because I don't generally think that comes from a place of the pressure of boss giving him the ultimatum of help me or die. I think he also has a general care and concern for Kavoth. I think so too. I think, and I mean, we could obviously 
the way that the stories are in, if if this were true, we can thank Chronicler for the story because he's the one writing it down. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'm not sure how much Chronicler's is wanting to help Kavoth versus him wanting the story. But either way, it's it's Ag- useful. Agreed. I, I like to think that he has a little bit of a emotional interest in it. But then again, I think now that he's met Kavoth, it definitely is becoming more personal. But yeah, I mean, Boss seems to be the only one who cares. And even the people telling the stories of Kavoth aren't really sure if he's a hero or not anymore. And that's, I think, the part that is the most sad to me. Right. It, you know, um, it's like uh, the the phrase, it's like kill your heroes almost, where you idolize these people based on their feats and then you finally get to hear the story of their accomplishments and you're right, it humanizes them to a point where you ask yourself, it's like, are you truly this unsung, you know, are you truly this sung hero of valor or are you just some guy who skin of his teeth have done a lot of interesting things? Yeah. And they're hinting that, like, he became the bad guy at some point, but I think these are all perfect questions to end our episode on, unless anyone else has final remarks. Oh, I actually had two really important oh. plot points. Take it away, Ern. Um, so, I, what my prediction might be for the end of these books is that upon the third day, since Chronicler studied at the university, is familiar with naming, maybe not nearly anywhere adept, but he clearly knows the true name of Iron, so he has some skill set in naming, that after hearing the three days worth of the story, has such a overwhelming understanding of who Kavoth was and is will be able to speak Kavoth's true name back to him and like wake him up. Oh, I think that would be fascinating. I hope it just ends with Kavoth being like, I've let myself go too long and like these problems of the world like pick up folly off the wall and like go to get the scrail. Like I just, Yeah. And like boss like opens the door for him and then they're out. Like I feel like that would be the perfect ending and then, you know, it cry, could either yeah. turn into another set of se- like another series or it could just be left open-ended, but either way I think would be satisfying as yep. an end. I think equally as amazing as that would be what was heart-wrenching for me is in the beginning of wise man's fear where aaron is at the waystone getting like travel supplies and he's thinking about enlisting the army and kavoth gets like straight up real with him he's like dude if like why don't you just sit down i'll tell you my story i'm kavoth like what would you do if you were the kavoth and you wanted to lay low you would like go to a middle nowhere in and just like hide out Aaron almost believes him and he was like there's no way you could do that Mr. Coat ho ho very funny and you just see all like the wind taken out of his sail like <laughs> yeah, just completely just, like, deflates like <sighs> I did, and Chronicle I like covers that. he's like I think it's more of a testament to your performance as Coat that like people believe you are not Kvothe anymore, but it's just like it's so sad. And then oh, Boss yeah. is like, "Well, he's an idiot." He's like, "Does that make me feel better that I couldn't convince an idiot?" Ugh, and it's just like, oh. "All right, we'll save that for like the next." I know, book, though, it's but just it's, so good. We have much to discuss, and yeah, we're we're just gonna roll right into Wise Man's Fear because we've had so much positive feedback about Name of the Wind. So there will be a couple minisodes, but don't worry, we're gonna jump right into the next book because I know at the beginning of. Starting the podcast, we were talking about maybe, you know, jumping all over with different books, but 
we will be heading right into wise man's fear after this um until then happy reading thanks for listening if you like what you hear check out our website fantasticbookspod.com or follow us on instagram or facebook at fantasticbookspod don't forget to follow rate and leave a review Thanks. thanks